With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle jag så bra som mig. Thank you everybody for tuning in to another live episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. We've got an amazing episode coming up for you this week on the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I just spent some time in the home of Hockey Hall of Famer Harry Applecheeks Lumley, and that just got me super pumped to record this episode today. So I'm good to go. That's Owen Sound, by the way. (laughs) Shout out to Owen Sound. Name dropper here, Harry Applecheeks Longley. Fancy guy. Did you get to meet him? Uh, he died several years oh. ago, and his last name is Lumley. He actually, do you know he debuted as a 17-year-old? He was a goalie for the Leafs exciting. and the Red Wings and the Blackhawks. Exciting stuff as always, Brian. <laughs> so we've got a big show today. The plan is we're going to be talking about how to create the perfect fantasy pool. We did this last year. This is a bit of a redux. We're going to talk about all the lessons we learned from organizing and planning our own pool, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. So we are going to talk about all the lessons we've learned today and also discuss some other new features and just general advice on if you're setting up a new pool or you want to maybe tinker with your pool, our ideas on what makes a good versus not as good hockey pool. Before we get into that, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. Can you believe it? It's August 2nd right now, and he's already come out with a fantasy guide. Amazing. But to anybody thinking that, like, it's way too early, I'm not going to get that fantasy guide, Dauber's fantasy guide 
updates like almost daily from now well through to the end of October. You have nothing to worry about. I'm sure Dabra's going to correct me if he actually updates it longer than that. Certainly not shorter. And the ones that you see on the newsstand that they're going to be coming up, they were written like a month ago, and it takes them a while to get published and printed and put there. Dauber's guide is live. It's dynamic. Things are changing all the time. And that's a prime reason to head over there right now. This is the reason for the existence of DauberHockey.com, so you can get that guide to help you rule your pool. Yeah, so, but before you can rule your pool, you need to set up the rules for your pool. No pun intended. So let us talk about that. So like I said, last year we talked about hockey pool design. I'm going to go over some of the things really quickly that we talked about last year. We don't want to, you know, overdo it again. You can go back and listen. It was episode 70, I believe. So you can go back into your podcast feed, history, archive. Uh, but here are some things we talked about. We talked about whether or not you should go head-to-head versus Roto. And Brian, for these, let's just quickly give a quick hand-waving answer. But we in the Cacupful use head-to-head, which is every week you compete against a different person and you're accumulating points in the standings. And then there's a playoffs at the end. This is as opposed to Roto, which is a format where you sort of are accumulating points all throughout the year. And at the end of the year, whoever's the highest wins. And of course, there's different ways the scoring can be counted. But that's the general difference between the two. Why did we go with head-to-head and why are we sticking with head-to-head? I think the simple answer is head-to-head is a little more fun some people in Roto might disagree with that. Roto is an accumulation all year long of points that you collect. And depending on where you rank in different categories in your league, you're assigned a certain amount of points. And that fluctuates through the years, depending on how your rank fluctuates. But the thing with Roto is that if you're out of it early on, you're out of it. There's no coming back or it's very difficult to come back in a competitive roto league if you find yourself behind the eight ball early whereas in a head-to-head league everything resets at the end of the week technically you know you might be in rough shape if you have a poor draft but if you can somehow find a way to improve your team like by adding a ghost bear midway through the season it's not about catching up to all the other teams and accumulated stats it's just being able to take them over a seven-day period Yeah, I think for a lot of the things we're going to discuss, there's sort of a trade-off of overall fairness versus fun and gamesmanship. And sometimes you have to make a decision of which way you want to go. And I feel like Roto or any sort of yearly accumulation, it's kind of the most fair, right? It's like if I scored the most goals, I should sort of be the winner if like goals is what we're looking for. And Roto, there's different categories. You know, head-to-head, you could theoretically every single week win by like one point or something or just get lucky and face a weak opponent every week as opposed to someone else who let's say did better than you every single week but just happened to be playing tougher teams and ended up with a worse overall you know a standing and record so I do feel like there's a reason why people would say the head-to-head isn't as fair but there's just something about it's like more like the NHL right you're playing a team every single week you get to have the competition you get to have the being able to trash talk the person you're playing. And then there's always those exciting Sundays where you know, oh, I'm down by a couple categories. I need to make a move to try to win my week. And then, of course, the playoffs, which is a lot of fun just because, you know, it's elimination, it's high stakes. And we're going to get into the playoff format we've decided for the couple a little bit later on. But yeah, I think that's the thing there for a lot of the things we're going to discuss. Head to head, I agree with you, Brian. It's a little more fun for me, obviously, to each their own. But that's why we decided to go with head to head again for the couple. 
the next thing we wanted to discuss, which we already discussed last year, so we'll just cover really quickly. We talked about like once you decide you're going to do a head-to-head league, you have to decide how you're going to score your weekly matchups. And the two main ways to do it are you could either have a categories league where you're all competing against different categories separately and each category win is worth a win in the standings as opposed to points where just you have a set number of points for each type of statistics, you know, two points for a goal, one point for an assist, one point for this, one point for that. And then at the end of the week, you just add up all the points you accumulated for your team, compare it to your opponent. Whoever had the most gets the win for the week. You either win or you lose as opposed to categories where you could win, let's say, five to three and get five out of the possible 16 points. And we chose to do categories. Why, Elon? Can you remember offhand? (laughs) Like why? Because we're also in a head-to-head points league which is also a lot of fun. So what was our reasoning back then? I, it, I honestly can't remember it in the uh, heat of the moment. I could tell you from what I recall, and I think I'll stand by it. There's, lots more, there's a lot more gamesmanship when you're playing with categories. With points, it's sort of like every player has a value and it's the same value for everyone. Like if a player is averaging four points per week and another player is averaging 3.5 points per week, we don't care if like player A got a lot of his points from blocks. We had Roman Yosi and player B was some center who was getting a lot of his points from face-off wins. And so, you know, it doesn't matter, right? If the guy's gonna give you the points you need, you get the points. You pick the guy who's gonna get the most points. As opposed to with categories, it's kind of more fun because the free agency list sort of looks different to every single person because everyone needs different categories so that also makes trading a lot more fun it's really hard to trade when you're just looking at points you just sort of add up the average points of both sides of the trade and you decide who wins the trade as opposed to with categories it's like i need some assists you need special teams points let's make a deal that's a really good point elon uh having different categories going by categories is a way to diversify player value so that everybody isn't after the same player and you might look at a few different solutions. It gives you a few more strategic options as an owner to make a call of which categories you want to target rather than just saying, well, I need the guy who's got the most points. Who is that likely to be? Yeah, so that's why we decided that. And we're going to get into which categories we chose in a little bit because that's going to be our first major topic we're going to discuss. A couple things from last year that I just want to check off the list. We talked about which fantasy platform to use. I remember it was such a huge debate, right? Should you use ESPN? Should you use Yahoo? Should you use fan tracks last year we used espn and it was pretty good but this year we've actually made a partnership for the couple with fan tracks because fan tracks has a free version and a premium version and they're letting us use their premium version for the couple so we had to try it out and we're kind of going to discuss throughout the show why the premium like what the premium version of fan tracks has to offer that these other leagues don't which we're going to take advantage of and hopefully enjoy them and be able to make our league more fair so we're definitely going to go with fan tracks premium do you have a idea brian just like what league to choose let's say if you don't have a budget you don't want to pay for a premium platform uh, what's like the difference with espn and yahoo does it even matter you know it's the evil or the devil that you know is usually the better case i rallied hard for yahoo last year because i knew it and they had ir plus slots which is their advantage but they're also very slow sometimes to assign ir status or take away day-to-day status or just handle all those issues that come up in the con- over the course of a fantasy matchup. ESPN seemed to be somewhat more responsive, like Elon, especially when you got in touch with them, but they didn't have the IR plus slot. They both have live stat tracking. And to be honest, after our experience with ESPN last year, uh, I was ready to, to give Fantrax a shot. Just full disclosure, Elon, the extent of our agreement with Fantrax, in case anybody thinks we're shilling unnecessarily, is that we're going to use their premium setup and we're going to just mention them a few times. Like when we talk about the couple, we're going to talk about them. But 
this episode specifically was not like, it sounded like the way you said it, like it was like sponsored or set up by them. No, this is us talking specifically about, and you know, if you've ever considered checking out, you know, the premium features over at Fantrax, this might be a way, I find that some of them are going to be useful to us. A lot of them aren't. And like Elon said, we'll go through which those are as we keep going. But for me, as somebody who's been on Yahoo, essentially a Yahoo lifer, and has done ESPN a couple times, I would be ready to try something new this year because why not? And Fantrax, actually, my hang up with them over the years was that their interface was just hideous and so unuser friendly. But it seems as though they have given it an entire facelift and it actually looks pretty sleek right now. Probably actually the sleekest of those three main options right now. Yeah, so it'll be fun. We're going to try it out. Like you said, hey, we're not sponsored by Fantrax. They're letting us use their software, and we're excited to use it. We had all of the options available to us. That's what we chose. And yeah, so maybe let's get into it. Let's start talking about the first sort of major thing that we're changing from last year in the Cupful and a lot of lessons learned. Let's talk about categories. That's always a big discussion. When you're starting a pool, you have so many decisions to make. Even if you've decided we're going to do head-to-head, we're going to do categories. But this conversation will also actually be good for if you're in a points league, because we're going to be talking about just which categories we like and which ones we don't like just in in terms of the stats in general. But one thing that you have to decide is like how many categories and which ones to use. And there's some that we all use in like all of our pools, like the most common ones. You have goals, assists. Usually for a goalie, you'll have wins, sometimes shots on goal, some type of power play points. So the categories used last year in the couple were goals, assists, special teams, points, shots on goal, and then for goalies, wins, saves, and save percentage. So we ended up with eight categories, five skater, three goalie, all very simple categories. And then there's a few that we actually had the option to use last year. Even ESPN and Yahoo gave us access to these categories. And these are commonly used categories in other pools. Things like hits, penalty minutes, plus minus, and then goals against average for goalies. Maybe, Brian, do you want to just cover quickly why we didn't use some of these categories, which are so common in other pools? Yeah, sure. Our reasoning hasn't changed a lot from last year. And actually, Elon, there are a couple of these that we did bring up in some form or another when we were deciding on our categories for this year. But remember, our overarching goal here is to create the ultimate fantasy league that is super balanced between fun and competitive and fairness. We want the best team to win, but we want everybody to still have a chance along the way. And there are some steps we felt worked best for that, and we'll get to those. Some we didn't think were totally fair, especially for awarding owners who draft well, like merit-based points. For example, hits is a stat that we considered last year and we decided not to go with it because a hit is not necessarily a positive contribution to uh, your team. If you're racking up the hits, it's often because you don't have the puck, right? You can't hit if you're busy taking a ton of shots on your opponent's net, but you can hit if you are chasing them around in your own zone for an entire like two and a half minute shift. So that's one reason we didn't go with hits. Another is that they're counted inconsistently across the NHL. Although I do think maybe it's getting a little more consistent from arena to arena. There's still arena bias. And of course you can take that into account and say, hey, I want a New York Ranger for sure because their home scorekeeper is going to give them an advantage for 41 games out of the NHL season. But I, I just didn't feel at the time nor now that that is something that should be taken into consideration when I'm weighing a player's fantasy value. 
Yeah, well, I think one thing for the couple that we decided, and every league is different, but one thing we decided for our league was we wanted to only have categories that represent the player's value. So that might end up not being as fun because maybe some categories are fun to track and maybe it's fun to have more categories like hits and you can make a guy like Matt Martin a really valuable commodity in your league. But that was just something that we decided. We thought it'd be more fun to only have categories that you know reward players based on what they actually do. That's another. That's also why we didn't include plus minus, right? It seems like plus minus is so unfair. You could be the left wing on a rush and then the right winger made a mistake which caused a goal to happen and you get penalized. It wasn't even your fault. Or you could just be on a bad team that lets in more goals. Or your goalie could let in a goal that he really shouldn't have. You're getting dinged on your plus minus and you could be a really great player. So that's another category we decided not to include, I guess, for the same reason. And then, of course, with goalies, you had goals against average, kind of the same thing, but reverse. Like, is it really fair if a goalie has four goals against but makes 40 saves? That's a pretty decent game. Should he really hurt you more than a goalie who led in three goals on, like, 20 shots? So we decided that save percentage is just such a more fair way to value goalies than goals against average. And we didn't really have room for two goalie categories like that anyways. Goals against average is also very much a team stat. A goalie has not a ton of control over their goals against average. It's more dependent on, say, the de- the defense in front of them or their forwards than is save percentage. So we want to make sure that, you know, if you pick a good goalie, you can be rewarded for their performance and not it's not too heavily based on the performance of the team in front of them. And Elon, you touched on that for plus minus too. Like the worst in plus minus is when a player like steps onto the ice literally seconds before a goal is scored against them, or if it's your opponent, or a goal is scored for that team. Uh, it's just a really unfair to award fa- unfair way to award fantasy value. And Elon, you, I'm not sure you mentioned penalty minutes, which is a common choice in a lot of leagues that like to reward grit. Uh, I don't see much grit in putting your team down and giving the other team like the best scoring chance possible <laughs> in the game of hockey. And that's why we're not counting penalty minutes. Although I do understand in leagues that do count these, it's another way to value players. We were talking about how diversifying the value of players is a good thing when we were talking about how we use categories instead of points. And so I can see why these categories would be useful to some leagues. I know some leagues that have like 18 categories and they weigh everything. And that way it really is up in the air about which player you're going to value the most and your strategic options are essentially blown wide open. But for the purposes of creating the ultimate fancy league, we didn't think uh, that they would fit in exactly. Right, okay. So those are some categories that we had the options to use last year and didn't. But this year with fan tracks, we had so many more options. Actually, I'm going to post a link in the uh, Google Hangout chat here which is actually, by the way, we're back on Google Hangouts. We haven't been using it for a while. So let us know if you're listening to the show, if you're here live, how you like it. But I'm going to post here the link to all the Fantrax categories we had available to us. And there were a ton, and it gave us a lot to think about. Because like we said last year, goals, assists, shots on goal, special teams points, and blocks. Those were the forward categories. And then wins, save percentage, and saves. Those were the goalie categories. And then we had to decide now with all of these new options available to us. And I want to get right into it, Brian, with one category that I knew I wanted last year that I wanted forever. It drove me so crazy that goalie wins. You could have a goalie go to the shootout and then lose in the shootout and you get nothing. And that's not even what happens in the NHL, right? Like a team gets two points for a goalie win, one point if they lose in the shootout or an overtime. 
it really always drove me crazy. And luckily for us, Fantrax has goalie points category. So it's kind of neat. It's a category. I think the term we came up for, I don't know if this is an official term, but we called it composite categories last year. So the idea is the category has its own scoring system within the category. So the one we ended up choosing was goalie points three, which is you get two points for a goalie win, one for an overtime loss, one for a shootout loss. And then we also threw in one for a shutout. Just you get a little bonus if your goalie gets a shutout. And then you're going to just take for the week your goalie points from that category against your opponent's goalie points, and then whoever has the most there wins the category. So it's not like those points wins and whatever, two for win. It's not a points. It's still a categories league, but within that one category, it's a points league for your goalies. Allow me to offer an example. If my goalie picks up a win and an overtime loss, that's two points plus one point, three points. If my opponent picks up two wins and a shutout, that's two points for each win. So four points plus the one bonus point for the shutout, that's five points. They would win that category five to three that week, the same way they would win the goals category five to three if they scored five goals and I had three goals. I'm really excited about this category, Elon, because I think it's great that you don't have to worry about getting nothing if your goalie goes the distance and then 11 rounds in the shootout and loses. You know, if your goalie is against the goalie on the other side of that equation, I don't think it was a commensurate representation of value to have one goal to get two points, the other have none. And that's why we did it that way. Would now be a good time, Elon, to talk about the other goalie point options that we turned away from? Sure, yeah. I want to point out quickly, VGP in the chat, who unfortunately now we have to learn, we learned all their Blab usernames. Now we have to relearn people's YouTube names. So I don't know who this is. I'm sure it's one of our patrons. A VGP commented the goalie assists. He wants that as a goalie category. And I think that's just interesting because I agree that goalie assists should count in the assist category. But I definitely wouldn't want like goalie assist to be its own category because what you're going to get like one or two a year. It's going to be totally random. I'm sure that's not what you mean. But yeah, I don't know why some platforms don't include goalie assist in your assist category. It's a player on your team who got an assist. I don't get it. I also hope goalie goals are included this year. Yeah. If it's available to us, we are definitely going to allow goals to be included in those goals and assist categories. But yeah, Brian, why don't you go through some of the other goalie points options for the wins category that our wins category replacement what were some of the options we turned away? So there were like seven configurations available. Uh, the two that came the closest to being the ones we chose instead of the one that we did go with, one of them was where a win equaled three points instead of two points and everything else was the same. So that would mean you would have to get three shutout or overtime losses to get the equivalent value of a win. And Elon, we thought that was too wide a gap to bridge, didn't we? Well, I guess the whole point of why we don't want to use just straight up wins is because it was annoying that you only goes to the shootout and then basically the whole matchup could be decided based on whether your team won or lost the shootout. So if you're still going to just give like a million points for a win and one point for a shootout loss, I feel like it's just the same problem. Like the whole point is I wanted it to be, obviously it's better to get the win, but I think two times as much, two times as good, that's good enough for me. I don't think we needed to make it any more of a difference between a win and an overtime or shootout loss. Yeah, totally agreed there. And the other one that we considered the most was actually one that had wins still counting for two, overtime and shootout losses counting for one, but the value of a shootout shutout. was worth two points. Sorry, the value of a shutout <laughs> was worth two points instead of the one point that we have in the setup we chose. Because I don't think a shutout 
is worth the same amount as a win. Like it's a nice little bonus, a nice little cherry on top. It shouldn't be a whole other Sunday. <laughs> well, yeah. And also when your goalie gets a shutout, like you're in good shape because you also have that helping your save percentage. Now you're getting an extra point. You probably are going to get a win unless it was like an overtime or a shootout loss, a zero zero shootout loss. So like you're going to be just fine with your shutout. Like just take what you get and be happy. Don't wish you got even more points to your wins category, your goalie points category that's just greedy yeah stop being greedy guys so those were the other goalie points categories we considered uh there was another change though we also decided to change our saves category so last year remember we had three goalie categories wins saves and save percentage we've decided to replace wins with goalie points three like we said we also decided to take away saves, and it's for an interesting reason. We actually, first, when we were deciding what our categories would be, we were going to keep saves. The only thing we were going to change was going to be wins to goalie points three. But then one of our patrons, Jeff, really just gave us such a good breakdown. He did so much work of looking into statistics from last year in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, and he was looking over which categories helped predict who was going to be successful in the league overall. And it turned out that save percentage basically had no value. Like if you had goalies with good save percentages, that didn't mean you were going to do well in the couple. It makes sense because if there were three goalie types in save percentage, that's two counting categories and one rate category. And so basically it just turned out that you were better off just getting as many goalie starts as you could per week. Then that would pretty much guarantee you saves. And you'd probably take wins because the more games you play, the more chances you have for wins. So even if you lost save percentage, even if you didn't even care about save percentage, you always just wanted to play as many games as you can to try to win two out of the three goalie categories. And we didn't like that because that means that people were going to be more inclined to take like a Mike Condon who played a lot for the Habs last year and was pretty brutal as opposed to, you know, like a John Gibson or a, or an Anderson on Anaheim who maybe didn't play as much, but were like clearly much better goalies. Yeah, and it was very closely correlated with wins too. So those two categories essentially were decided just by frequency, the amount that your goalie played, the quantity of their minutes instead of the quality of their minutes. And that was definitely an issue that we wanted to correct. And Elon, initially, we were going to keep saves, but try and spread the goalie wealth a little bit more. One solution we had discussed was to limit each roster to having only three goalies. So the teams that were being really greedy, such as my own last year, and holding four for most of the season, couldn't do that anymore, which would sort of flatten out the goalie market a little bit and give everybody more of a fighting chance every week at competing in the saves category. But I think the solution that we have is actually way better than that. Less policing on our part, more free market overall. We went with this category, save points. Elon, do you want to explain how it works? Yeah, we went with save points, uh, another category that's only available to us because we're using Fantrax Premium. And basically the problem was, like I said, we had either, we had two counting stats in wins and saves, and then one rate stat. So we could have changed saves to goals against average, but then it would have been two rate stats and one counting stat. And I think it's valuable to want to have a balance. You want to have goalies who play a lot and play well. So the save points, I felt, was a good mix of the two. We ended up running some numbers. We did some correlations in Google spreadsheets. That's how fancy we were to see how some stats were kept. 
correlating to our other stats based on last year's goalie statistics. Anyways, we decided to go save points because basically what it is, is you get one point for a save. It's again, it's another one of these composite categories. So you're going to get one point for a save, but then minus eight points for every goal against. So if your goalie makes 30 saves and lets in two goals, so 30 saves on 32 shots, that's 30 minus 16, so 14 points. That's the number of save points your goalie gets on that night. And then again, at the end of the week, you just add up all of your goalie save points, saves minus eight times goals against. And, and so what this does is you still are going to get value from goalies who play more because there was only two goalies last year that we found that played over like 10 games that ha averaged less than zero save points. Uh, and it's actually pretty funny if you see one of them is my previously aforementioned Mike Condon, I believe. Or maybe, no, no, actually, no, I think he was a bit above. But no, Jonas Hiller was one of the ones that had negative points. Brian's former favorite. It was Hiller and Alex Stalock, who yeah. is your golden boy, who you were sure was going to knock Antti Niemi out of the starter's job two years ago and just ride to glory as the starting goaltender for the San Jose franchise for years to come. Okay. So we were both wrong. All right, well, I okay, well, let's not get into that. I will just say that I just thought Stalock was going to be given an opportunity to usurp Niemi, and I think he was. Okay, no, we're not getting into the merits of what we thought. I could justify Jonas Hiller very well. Okay, so anyway. I could really give you much better reason for why Jonas Hiller would have been successful than you could offer for Alex Stalock. Anyways, all this to say, the reason why I'm even getting into this is I'm saying that most goalies in the NHL last year, even Mike Condon, were giving you positive save points per game. So there was still some value to quantity. Playing your goalies more often would lead to more save points most of the time. But it wasn't as many. So you still needed to play good goalies. Like one get Carey Price actually in the short time he played last year had the highest average. He had like 13 save points a game on average, as opposed to I think Condon was four. I should get the list open. But anyways, so it's like you would have needed over three Condon starts to equal one Price start. And I think that's about right, right? I'm sure the Canadians would rather three uh, or one Carey Price start over one Mike Condon start. So no, it's totally, it's totally right. We, we promise you, we did our due diligence. We sorted rankings by this. And there was another set where it was one point for a save and minus, what was it, Elon? Five points for a goal yeah. against or four yeah. points, one of those. And we five. found that that wasn't enough of a penalty to really take away the problem that we had last year, which was that quantity won the day and that winning the saves category also meant you got the wins category. So the minus eight points for a goal against does sound pretty harsh at first, but we promise you that it, it does even things out. And what we've done here by adding save points is we've added or transformed the saves category into something that is closer, more related to save percentage, but still not too close to save percentage and also uh, moves further away from the wins category, but not too much further away. So it sort of sits more in the middle between the other two goalie stats, whereas our saves category last year really leaned heavily to one. It was usually if you were going to win your goalie stats, it would be you'd win two of three or one of, th you know, there wasn't, there wasn't much of a split. There weren't so many ways to split it. So this year there are more ways to win uh, your three goalie categories. Yeah, so that's uh, those were our decisions. Those are the categories we ended up using. So we ended up not changing any of our skater categories. Goals, assists, shots, special teams points, blocks, and then we're going to be using wins, save points, and goalie points three. It's going to be a lot of fun. The Kakafo, the by the way, Brian, we haven't even really mentioned yet the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. This is a league that anyone listening, you could join next year. It's the best fantasy league you're ever going to be in, meticulously commissionered 
if that's a word, by Brian and I to make it the most competitive and fun league you'll ever be in. So if you're interested in joining the couple, by the way, I'll mention it here. I'll mention it at the end of the show. Check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You need to be a patron of Keeping Carlson to join the couple. But after that, it's free. But being a patron is fun because you get to join the Facebook group. Anyway, okay. Brian, why don't we talk now about some of the categories that we had available to us on fan tracks that we thought about, but then we just decided, nah, no, nah, I, I, they're fun, but probably not. I'm so ready to do that. But first, I want to tell you about an experience I had on SeatGeek earlier today <laughs> where I went to look up tickets for the World Cup of Hockey matchup that the schedule was just released for. USA plays Canada sometime in September, I guess. I had to write on over to SeatGeek. The prices were awful, but what I liked about SeatGeek is it wasn't trying to tell me they were good. It actually rated the deals as either so-so or awful deals and essentially suggested that I wait longer to purchase my tickets. So that's what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll check again in a month or two, but I don't really want to see the USA anyway. Maybe I'll drive over to Montreal to see Europe play North America. Anyway, SeatGeek.com is a pretty good and honest place to go if you are looking for tickets to your event in Elon. As a Keeping Carlson listener, there's something in it for you too. <laughs> oh man, Brian, I almost forgot to mention our sponsor, SeatGeek. I can't believe it. But yeah, everything Brian said is great. You could also subscribe, by the way, Brian. You could subscribe to that game and then they'll let you know when the ticket price goes down. And if you are a listener of Keeping Carlson, you could get $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek. Get a $20 rebate. So just go to Keeping Carlson. Oh, wait, what am I talking about? Go to SeatGeek, buy your ticket, enter the offer code KEEPING, K-E-E-P-I-N-G, and you'll get your $20 rebate off of your first ticket purchase at SeatGeek. Be a geek. Get a seat. Wow. <laughs> I'm still surprised that they haven't adopted that slogan yet. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to still talk. Oh, man, we're already half an hour in, and we're still only talking about categories. Let's maybe go quick. But there were some really fun categories I wanted to discuss that were available to us on Fantrax. Why don't you tell us some of your favorites? Maybe I could say some of mine. Sure. And um, before I do, though, I'm not, I'm not putting anything else in the way, but just slowly. I feel like every time we've referenced this year's couple categories has been kind of fast. So goals, goals scored, assists, special teams points, uh, and shots on goal, and blocks are the skater categories this year. That's what we want to reward skaters for getting. And I'm going to actually start off, Elon, with a justification for blocks for giving defensemen value. I know you wanted to hear about the new Fantrax categories, but when we were talking about hits and how they're not necessarily a positive contribution to a player's team, well, technically blocks aren't so great either because, again, you can't block a shot if you are taking all the shots for your team while you're on the ice and facing very few against. But we do like them because they add, and generally, a good defenseman does block shots when they do have those opportunities. It's just a little unfair that if you're playing for, like, the 2013-14 Buffalo Sabres, you're going to have a ton more opportunity to block shots than you would have if you were playing for the same year's version of the LA Kings or Chicago Blackhawks. I think I like blocks, you know, and it still takes a pretty, it's a good, when a defenseman blocks a shot, that's good. Like, that's a good thing you did for your team. Maybe some defensemen get more opportunity to block than other defensemen. Chris Russell. Yeah, but I mean, it's better than if he didn't. What if he just stood there and let the puck go by? Would that have been better? Well, <laughs> it's it's even wor- it's still worse than if he didn't even have the opportunity to block the shot. But again, the point is that we wanted to give give some value to defensemen. And you're right, Elon, blocking a shot is in a defenseman's job description. Although you could argue hits his too. I feel like I just don't want to be double talking. But forwards sure. who are hitting too much, I feel like they really shouldn't be doing that. 
a whole lot. Like Chris Neal has led the league in hits for so many years of his career. There is a skater category that we sort of looked at to see if there was a way to penalize a skater for being on the ice while shots were coming again. So while we had the blocks to reward them for blocking the shot, if a shot came against them, there would have been a way to penalize them with this category called even strength shots against. And what that would do, and when I made the case to you for potentially including it in this year's edition of the Cup Cupful, is it would measure defensive acumen. Like we talk so much about shot attempts for and shot attempts against. Now these are actual shots on goal, but it's sort of the same idea, right? Players who are on the ice, you want them to be taking more shots on goal for them than they are facing against them. And what it would really do is it would be a negative category for the type of player who sees a lot of ice. Maybe they score a lot of goals as a forward, but they give up a ton of chances at the same time, like one-dimensional offensive forwards. And a line that just jumps out at me that would have been crushed by this stat is back when Phil Kessel was in Toronto, that Kessel-Bozak-Van Riemsdyk line just would have been buried. So you'd get points for having those guys and getting points in the offensive categories, goals and assists and special teams points, but they would probably erase all hope of winning this even strength shots against category. It would also make the elite two-way guys like Bergeron and Kopitar that much more valuable. So you're adding value to those really strong two-way scoring forwards that are so hard to find in the NHL. There aren't many guys out there like Bergeron and Kopitar. Yeah, so that's a really cool category. And if you're setting up a league on fan tracks where you want to just have a crap load of categories, then that's one that I would consider. I think we ended up deciding for the cupful, just like maybe a little too fancy. You know, maybe we just didn't want to get too deep into the coursey of it all and worry about shots against while you're on the ice, especially since we want to keep the number of categories relatively small. But I do, I like it and it makes sense. And but and then it makes it really tough actually to decide whether to play your Phil Kessel on the Leafs or who's the equivalent now. I'd have to think about it, but I'm sure there's some player we could think of that lets in a lot of shots, even though he gets in a lot of points. So yeah, it would make it pretty tough. Um, Yeah. Uh, By the way, I wanted to mention in the chat room, uh, people, you have to kind of refresh the page in order to see the new comments. So we're working on this, by the way, this is an experiment of switching to a new platform. We're going to get all our live shows straightened out by the time the season starts. But in the meantime, I have a feeling for next week, I, I'm thinking we could make like another separate chat room that people can chat in while they're watching the YouTube video. Anyway, I'll get wow, into it later. Elon, this is all very entertaining in the midst of our categories discussion. Let me bring things back to even string shots against it. And the reason why we didn't choose it, I felt like one limitation for me was that it's not like a super widely tracked stat. Like I can go over to Corsica Hockey or Hockey Analysis or some of those advanced stat sites and find what I'm looking for, you know, by adding a few filters and whatnot. But these, this is the sort of number that's not going to show up in like Yahoo or ESPN or Roto World player profiles. Work on adding them, although he does have some advanced stats in those player profiles. So you should definitely check those out. But it would be hard to really get a holistic view of a player in one page, which I think is a useful thing to do or to be able to do when you're trying to gauge a player's fantasy value. It might be a little too much running around until we see this sort of thing tracked more often on other websites. 
Yeah, also, I'm a big fan of getting projections. Like, you know, Dauber in his guide, by the way, it comes with projections. You could also get projections from a bunch of other places. I like to throw them in a tool like Fantasy Hockey Geek to then rank my players based on my league categories. It would be very hard to get to do your prep for your draft once you started using some of these really complex categories like even strength shots against. Brian, we still have so many things to talk about aside from categories. Why don't you throw out one more that you liked that we ended up deciding not to go with, but that you were intrigued by that they were on fan tracks? Oh, okay. Just pick one. Fine, just one more. Okay, you know what? I'm going to lightning two of them and then do one. Does okay. That, does that work? Okay. You considered penalty minutes, lower is better. That makes penalty takers liabilities, but penalties can be fairly random. There's a home ice advantage issue with that sort of thing. And, like, you don't want to lose a category because of, like, a broken stick after a slash. That's not something... That should, you know, that's a, such a circumstantial penalty. You don't want that affecting your mood for like the next week. Mm-hmm. Another thing that you probably, or that we considered very quickly was time on ice, rewarding players who see a lot of time on ice. But in the end, we decided that having that much time on ice is a reward in itself because it gives you the opportunity to score points. So that's enough of a reward for time on ice. It didn't need to be its own category. Elon, the other category that, I came the closest to lobbying seriously for was even strength points. So right now we have categories for all goals, all assists, and then all points scored on the power play or on the penalty kill. That's a combined category, special teams points. Even strength points would be its own category. And it would give you know credit for players who are scoring at the most challenging time in a game, which is when it's five on five. A lot of players bread and butter is on the power play. They pad their point totals by 15, 20, even 25 by racking up power play points. And it's those even strength scores. Like if you if you look at Mike Hoffman, he's been one of the best five-on-five scores in the NHL over the last year or two. And he doesn't get a ton of reward for that necessarily in fantasy. And I think that maybe it would be good to be able to reward players for scoring in a difficult situation or a more difficult situation than say a power play. Yeah, that's a fun one. Even though there is kind of something I like about when I find out that my player scored a goal or got an assist and then run wondering right away, like, oh, was it on the power play? Like, did I get the bonus point? Because, you know, you already get your goal or assist and then you get your power. Play. And this way it would be kind of like, oh, well, you get you get something either way. Like either it's on the power play and you get a power play point or if it's not on the power play, you get the even strength point. So I, I definitely see your reasoning. I just think for me, I just feel like there's something fun about like having a bonus one way versus the other way, but maybe you're right that maybe it should be the other way around or anyways, again, that would be a fun category if you were having a league with like 10 or more skater categories. I think there's definitely room for even strength points. For sure. Like there were some weeks where I'd be in my matchup and I'd be getting crushed in special teams points, but I'd be right up there in goals and assists. And I felt like my guys were actually doing the harder thing than what the other owners guys were doing. So I felt like I might want credit for that. Even strength points would be a good way to award it. You can also actually split it up into even strength goals categories and even strength assist categories, but that was getting a little too granular for our purposes. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. We still have a couple more big decisions we ended up making for the couple and big decisions you have to make when designing your pool. One of them is rosters. You have to decide which roster spots are going to be available on your team. We ended up pretty much sticking with what we did last year. We liked how it went. So we had 18 total players per roster, and that was broken down into two centers, two left wing, two right wing, four defense, two goalies, then 
four bench spots. That made 14. At, wait, Brian, your list here is crazy. Okay, there's two centers, two left wing, two right wing. Then we also had a uh, utility and we had uh, an extra forward. So utility is going to be forward or defense. Then we had the 4D and the two goalie. That made 14 active spots. Then we also had four bench spots. That's what we ended up going with, which ends up being around 200 and something. What's 18 times 14? It was 14 teams in the league. So that will tell you how many players were owned overall, not counting IR. And anyways, it turned out, I found for the couple, it wasn't like really like looking at the bottom of the barrel when your player got injured. There's always someone that I was thinking, oh man, I'd love to have that player, but should I use the acquisition to get him? But at the same time, it wasn't too shallow. Like it wasn't like obvious players. It wasn't like people were dropping Jacob Voracek when he had a bad start, like in one of your leagues, Brian. Yeah, well, that guy finished pretty close to last. He made a huge mistake. Uh, he also traded Crosby at some point early on during the struggle. So I don't think that would be a concern in any cupful league where we have the most competitive and knowledgeable owners facing off against one another. We do have a constantly lookable, I'm trying to think of a better word, somewhat attractive, semi-attractive pool of free agents at any time. So it's 252 players are rostered, not counting anybody who might be on IR. But I remember last year, like guys like Jeff Skinner, actually a lot of hurricanes, like I was thinking of Elias Lindholm and Victor Rask. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other, I feel like some Minnesota Wild players like Mikhail Granlund were out there. Maybe Sam Reinhart was available from time to time. Like there were interesting players always available guys who you'd look at and seriously consider as somebody who might be an upgrade over your roster. So that's the balance we want to set with how many players are on your roster and how many players are in the free agent pool. We want there to be attractive options, guys that make you consider dropping somebody already on your team and keep that uh, player flow going both ways. There is probably a better way to word that. <laughs> By the way, uh, back to categories really quickly. Jeff with a couple interesting points in the chat here. He says they really wish they had primary assists as a category, which is something we've started to look at in advanced stats because, you know, we have assists count as the first assist or the second assist, but the primary assist is the harder one to get. That's the one that directly led to the goal. That would be a really cool category. Fantrax doesn't have that right now. I have a feeling that if it starts getting tracked more regularly, I could see that showing up at some point. And then also Jeff pointed out that even strength points actually does get some credit. You know how I was talking about how sometimes when, you, when your team scores a goal and you're like, oh, did I get the power play point as the bonus? There is in leagues account plus minus, obviously, then if it was an even strength goal, then you got the bonus and plus minus. So yeah, good points there, Jeff. Okay, back to the rosters. Okay, Brian, what about our decision of having like this split? Now that we've talked about the 252 players overall, the way we did, you know, like centers, left wing and right wing versus forwards, there is some annoyance there, right? Because you have to figure out which player could go where. And I remember it was so frustrating last year with ESPN sometimes when a player wouldn't be given, let's say like right wing eligibility, even though he had been playing right wing for the week. So like, why not just have like forwards and defense? Like, why do we split it into these more granular positions? It's a fair question. I think it goes back to what we've mentioned a few times in this episode, which is that it makes different players more valuable to different owners, depending on your situation, on your team. And it also really plays a big role in the draft, I think. The way that you draft and you tier your players, knowing that the pool of left wings and right wings is shallower than the pool of centers. So you might want to try and take care of those categories first. It's another way to strategize your draft, which sets up your entire season and be rewarded 
for having a good strategy for your draft in terms of deciding which position you want to try and go for, if you're going to go for the best player available no matter what, or if you're going to try and address positional needs, or, uh, you know, if you get punished for just drafting 18 centers because they were always the best player available. I think it adds an extra wrinkle. Having it just be forwards, I feel like that would just be a little too easy, and it's also less like real hockey. I mean, sure, you can just slot a guy in anywhere in an NHL lineup, and it probably will work out okay, but they do generally have somewhat set positions for the most part, and I think it uh, it keeps that sort of I'm playing hockey <laughs> mentality fresh. You get to really feel like a manager. Yeah, I like it. No, I, I was asking, but I, I agree. I really like being able to split players up and having to make that decision of should I drop this right wing to get a left wing? Like I need to keep my roster balanced and I need to make sure I have enough people to roster every day because we also have these four bench spots. So depending on how many teams are playing, sometimes you have to make a decision of whether to play one player over another. But also the, the worst thing is when you see in the upcoming week that you're going to have, let's say, an open roster spot like an open center spot while you have a left wing just sitting on your bench. And like, that's the worst. Any day that you have a player on your bench while you have an open spot for something else, I guess that usually happens with forwards and defense, but I hate when that happens, but it makes it fun. It makes you have to strategize and pick players that have multi position uh, availabilities. And that's something that you have to rely on your platform for. So we're using Fantrax where we'll see, we'll see how they do in updating positions based on how the season's going. Though I hear rumors, I haven't really looked into it yet, but I think that there's a way that we could even control it ourselves. So Maybe if that's an option for us and we see a player that is obviously playing one position, maybe we can make the call as commissioners whether we want to add that position. I don't know. That's a lot of responsibility, Elon. We'll see how responsive Fantrax is yeah. first. I generally liked, I think Yahoo was actually better for that. They had no. a role after three games at a position, no. they would add it. <laughs> no, ESPN was better. Disagree strongly. Yahoo, to, I felt like ESPN was much better. Like ESPN okay. took a long time at the beginning to update the positions, which was really annoying. Like they sort of were like, they waited like 20 games. But I felt like after that, they were pretty responsive. Like both of them were pretty bad overall. Like neither of them were very responsive. But I recall, anyways, maybe it just depends on which player you happen to be following. Another thing that being with Yahoo or ESPN and the thing that would always drive me crazy is how they dealt with injured players. And they both had different ways. So ESPN has day-to-day, but if you but you can't put a day-to-day into your IR slot. And we've decided for the couple to allow four IR spots for those of you who don't know. Anyone listening to a summer fantasy hockey podcast obviously knows what IR spots are. But yeah, if a player gets injured, you throw them in your IR and then you can replace them on your roster. Doesn't take up a roster spot. So with ESPN, if a player was day-to-day, you couldn't put them in your IR. But And it, obviously if they were thrown into the IR in the real NHL, then they have the IR eligibility. But ESPN also had this O status, which sometimes O, I guess, standing for out. And they would give a player O status if it was just announced they'd be out for a long time and it seemed somewhat arbitrary. And so sometimes you'd be messaging them like, oh, my guy's been away for two weeks. Can you please give him O status? And sometimes they would and sometimes they wouldn't. And then Yahoo had another way of dealing with this. Well, I'm saying had, they still do. With Yahoo, you could have IR spots and IR plus spots and IR spots, you can put only IR eligible players and then IR plus spots, you could put also day-to-day players. And so you could choose whether you want to balance those in certain ways. With Fantrax, we're basically using all IR plus spots. They have an option where we can say our injured players available to go in the IR or only IR players. And we just decided all injured players can go on the IR if they're day-to-day. If they're actually in the injured reserve, we're going to let you throw them into the IR. And I think we're even going to allow suspended players to go into your IR. That was an option that Fantrax gave us, and we can go one way or the other on that. Yeah, and conversation. I think we both decided, and we the rule that we're going with is, yes, suspended players can be IR eligible, 
Because in the NHL, if a player gets suspended, they, you know, sit, but their team still has access to that roster spot. They can still fill that lineup spot with somebody else. And I figured that was good enough reason. This is another thing, though, in the NHL. It's funny. I was talking about how they award points in overtime losses. This is another thing that I wish the NHL would change. Like, I feel like a suspended player, that team should just be down a roster spot mm. for the length of that suspension or, like, a certain amount up to, like, a five- or ten-game limit. Uh, and I feel like that would be an interesting way to punish a fantasy owner for employing, like, Radko Gudas or whatever. But I feel like being suspended for most players in the league, like 95% of the players, isn't a repeatable skill. Exactly. Like, it's going to be... You know, I'm trying to think of an example from last year. I feel like there was one or two stars. Landeskog got injured right at the end of the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, but I'm talking about being suspended. That's what I said. Sorry, suspended. Landeskog got suspended. Right. Okay. Right. And it's not like he's a dirty player and you should have known that. That was the inherent risk of having him on your team. Although for injuries, we allow, you know, those are somewhat repeatable and we allow you to move those. But that's how the NHL works anyway. We decided at the end of the day, it wasn't a bad thing to be able to just move suspended players into your IR. And we wanted to give plenty of IR spots because we don't want anybody to be overly penalized by having to decide, you know, whether to hold a good player that they drafted on their roster who's injured uh, and suffering, you know, for the length of their injury, especially if it's an unknown length, uh, able to slide in a replacement player instead. Like the punishment is that their player who they drafted, who they wish they could play, can't play and has to be an injured reserve. And we also, Elon, have made the choice to lock rosters. If you have a player who was IR eligible, you move them into your IR, but then they are healthy and playing again. If that happens to you on your roster, if you have a healthy player in your IR, you cannot make any roster moves. Yeah, I think you can move people in and out of your roster, like from bench spots, just to like set your roster for the day. But if you have a non-IR eligible player in your IR, then you're not allowed to make any acquisitions. And that's actually a great segue into acquisitions because another, you know, you're already getting punished, A, like you said, if your player gets injured or suspended because now you have to replace them with probably a lesser player because you had them in your lineup for a reason. And also you have to use an acquisition. So let's get into acquisitions, which was another big decision we had to make And one thing that was actually probably one of the biggest complaints that we had last year with a couple, I would say, was how we dealt with transactions and acquisitions. Um, Not everything about it, just specifically that we had, we had a lot of limits. And so this year we're going to try to relax some of these limits, but I'll give the quick uh, idea of what we ended up deciding. Most leagues actually don't go this way. We went a little bit different with the cupful last year so i guess the standard league is that there's players in free agency and at any time you can drop a player and add the player in free agency some leagues are weekly leagues where you could only any move you make only affects the next week or sometimes they have different uh, rules like when when it, the acquisition takes effect but the general idea is there's players in free agency and then you could drop one of your players and add one of your players and also a lot of platforms and leagues have this concept of waivers so when a player gets dropped people can't just add that player right away. There's an amount of time people bid on the player somehow, or they use a waiver priority. And then when, you know, the two days has gone by, then whoever put the highest bid or had the highest priority could get that player who was dropped. That's the general idea. Which by some sneaky owners could have been used as a really nasty tool. Like if they didn't want other people in their league, especially if there weren't any limits to be able to get a player, like let's say it's your playoffs matchup and there's like three good defensemen there 
someone could just add them all and drop them, and then they'll be on a three-day waiver period, huh. and their opponent can't grab them. And not that anybody listening to that, this podcast has ever tried that. Um, to be fair, most platforms, I think, have things against it. Like, they don't put the player on waivers unless they've played at least one game for you. Right, I think that's right. the rule on ESPN. And plus, you have acquisition limits. So, yeah, like, what we had last year was 100, or no, what was it? Not 100, 45 acquisitions for the season, and we had four for a given weekly matchup. So you couldn't just go in and add and drop players willy-nilly. But the other big restriction we had, which is, I would say is not a restriction, is what made it a lot of fun, we used the fab budget the free agent acquisition budget and basically how that worked is that at the beginning of the season everyone was given an $100 budget and then instead of players being able or participants being able to just pick up a player at any time drop a player and pick up someone else from free agency every day at 11 a.m it was the highlight of my day on most days every day is at 11 a.m we would have an auction a silent auction where everyone could put a bid from their fab budget, or you could bid $0, actually. But everyone, you could put bids on which players you want to pick up, and then you set like which players you would drop if you win the bid. And then at 11 a.m., ESPN and now Fantrax, because they have the same feature, will decide who gets the player based on who made the highest bid. If it's a tie, it goes to the person who is lower in the standings. And then that's how we did our acquisitions every day, which was a lot of fun because sometimes, let's say if a goalie got injured, like last year, let's say when Marc-Andre Fleury got injured those couple of times, Matt Murray became a hot commodity and you couldn't just be like the guy who saw it on his phone first got the option to get Matt Murray like I was in my fantasy playoffs in one of my other leagues which I won having Matt Murray there to help me at the end of the season but here everyone has the same opportunity to realize there's been an injury decide if they want to bid on the backup goalie or if you know a player gets called up or whatever and then it's just whoever wants the player most will bid the most hopefully and then that that's how you'll get the player yeah we've got a lot of time zone differentials in our cup full participant pool too so somebody People might be sleeping while hockey news goes down. This helps level the playing field for some of us like who might be working during the day and can't react to this news as quickly versus some of us who might be students still and have a little more open schedule. Um, what else do I like about it, Elon? I like that, you know, it's like you, you're almost bidding against yourself sometimes because it's not like you show up at 11 and there's like a live option for it, right? You put in your bid and then at 11 a.m. all the bids are processed and the player goes to whoever bid the highest. Uh, before 11 a.m. And, you know, you're like, ah, is this team going to try and get them? The, uh, and you start off with a $4 bid, and then you up it to 5 to 6 to 7 And you get really, really anxious, like nerve-wracking. I know there were times last season, like, I bid, I think I wasted $39 in one day when I probably could have had both players for the <laughs> combined $4. So being clever about your bidding and being able to gauge the value of the players that you're bidding on is a real important and interesting strategic aspect of the whole free agency acquisition budget setup. I, Brian, by the way, I will remind you in case you were trying to forget uh. which players those were. I believe you picked up Marion Gabrick, who was dropped. You're like, I can't believe someone dropped Gabrick. And Ryan Strom, who had been sent to the minors and someone dropped him. And you thought to yourself, oh, I'm going to get a steal here because I'll pick up Ryan Strom. He'll get called up in like a couple of days. He ended up spending like, what was it, like three weeks in the minors, then came up and proceeded to do nothing for the rest of the season. I was a fool. And then, you know, you have to go into the whole sunk cost issue where I put in money for those guys. I'm going to hold on to them because if they do really well, it better be for my team after I've spent that much money on them. But eventually, you know, definitely had to cut bait yeah. with both okay. of them and call that a loss. 
Yeah, and obviously I'm making fun. Like I recall for myself also, it was, you know how it is, the whole idea that everything you do is going to be wrong. And like anytime I would bid a lot on a player, it would turn out no one else bid on him. Because, oh yeah, by the way, with this fab acquisitions, you after the fact, you get to see what the other bids were, what all the losing bids were. So yeah, I always found that like whenever I did bid money, you know, I would lose the guy. And then sometimes, you know, I would bid and then it would turn out that I got outbid by like $1. I was like, oh, why didn't I just bid one more dollar? But that's fun. A question really quickly by Cam in the chat. He's saying, I've never used the waiver wire. What's the point? So the idea is if you're not using fab, I guess the point is that you don't want it to, again, kind of like we were saying with a goalie injury, if a player gets dropped, you don't want it to just be like, let's say some owner is really dumb and decides to drop, say, uh, I don't know, like, Sidney Crosby when he's slumping that would be a really crazy thing to do and most leagues have no draft list or no drop list but let's say some owner dropped a Sidney Crosby you don't it's not really fair that like whoever happens to see this first could take advantage and and pick him up so that's why there's usually the waiver period so everyone gets the opportunity to see that this player has been dropped and then make the decision of if they want to try to get that player so that's the purpose of waivers but we're not using them so in the couple once a player gets dropped you can bid on them with fab the next day so everyone just has to kind of know Check out who's available, you know, in the morning and see if there is someone you want to bid on, including players who were dropped just the day before. And check often. I remember Connor Hellebuck was added to the player pool, I think, at like 9.30 a.m. one day. And nobody in my league realized it, I think, except for me. So I was able to bid and grab him. I probably spent, you know, the same amount because I didn't realize others didn't see him. But you sort of have to stay on top of uh, it's good to check to see what players have been dropped or if there's a player who's been called up from the AHL, you're waiting to be added to the player pool. It's good to check as close to 11 a.m. as you can to see who might be available for bidding that day. Yeah, and okay, so Brian, the big decision that we had to decide was if we wanted to make a change last year. Because like I was saying, we had the $100 fab budget, we had the four moves per week, and we had the 45 acquisitions for the season. And a lot of people were finding themselves a bit strangled by all of these limits. And, and they would find themselves with only like five moves left going into the fantasy playoffs. And it's very frustrating when you want to add players, but you don't have enough acquisitions left for the season to do it. We heard the complaints. There's reasons why we had a limit, and we'll get into that. But we decided... Let's open things up. Let's see how it goes. We're keeping the fab budget. We're keeping the four acquisitions per week, but we're going to let you people have unlimited acquisitions for the season. Of course, if you spend all of your fab budget, you'll only be able to get players that you bid $0 on. And again, you have the four acquisitions per week, but unlimited for the season. So you could go nuts one week and not worry about its effects on what you'll have left available to you at the end of the season. Right. And Elon, just maybe to explain why we have that four move maximum per week in the first place, and then we can get into why we move to unlimited. We have it because if you have unlimited moves per week, then it might just turn into which owner is able to most frequently cycle their players. It's not necessarily about having the better players. It's about who can make the most moves. And generally, you know, you, you want to have a team that you can rely on and that you're not like replacing a guy on it every day or every other day. So having a four move maximum, what it does is it lets people, you know, replace an injured player or a scratched player or whatever, and also gives them the option to make a couple cycle moves a week, but not to do it at such an intense rate. I remember Elon, one year I was in I think the finals of a league and there weren't any weekly limits and penalty minutes was a category. And I just changed my enforcer every night and it was like super intense and it wasn't, I don't know. I felt like I didn't really earn it. It was just because I was paying more attention than the owner I was against. So having that weekly limit sets at least some restriction on how much you can try and game 
a given specific matchup. Yeah, it's funny how you use the term earn it, because, you know, on one hand, you could say, like, the person who's putting all this work in, maybe they earned it, but we want you to earn it the the way that you should earn it, which is you have to listen to Keeping Carlson, learn which players are good, and then take those players, and not just take whoever's playing more, you know, like, you know, like you said, switching your enforcer, so take the guy playing Thursday, then drop him for whoever's playing Friday, then drop him for whoever's playing Saturday, so yeah, we do have a limit, but we are letting it be unlimited for the season. We wanted to have the 45 move limit last year just because we wanted people to think extra hard about making moves. And they'd have to conserve their moves, and that would be part of the strategy. Then we thought of maybe increasing it to 60 for this year or, or, or 70, you know, but then we decided if we're going to do it, let's let it happen. And I'm really excited, actually, that forces will now dictate. Now that people aren't restricted on the acquisitions for the season, but they are still restricted by their budget, because, you know, if at the end of the season, Marc-Andre Fleury gets injured, you're not going to be getting Matt Murray with a $0 bid. So you still have to conserve your budget. So it will be interesting just to see how people use their moves, how people conserve their budget now that they could make more moves, but they still only have that $100. Yeah, and it's important to note that that free acquisition budget, that $100 we give you at the start of the season on October 12th, or actually, I guess it's whenever your draft is over and then you can start bidding that rolls over into the playoffs. You don't get a new stack of cash to work with once you get to the playoffs. So teams that have made it to the playoffs while holding on to their budget, you know, can outbid their opponents through the playoffs, which gives them an advantage at that point. So it's not like you want to spend that $100 very quickly. There's still good reason to be conservative with how you spend that money. And that will obviously affect how many moves you make through the season, the moves, having extra moves left over was also a reward for some teams. You know, come playoff time, they could try and outmaneuver their opponents because they could make, you know, 10 moves over the course of the playoffs or all four moves over the course of a matchup versus their opponent, Elon, who might make no more moves because they made them all already. I had moves to burn at the end of the season. You didn't. I take that as a sign of skill, but I'm, I'm okay with just leaving the budget being the thing that you can strategically conserve to improve your team through the season, but still try and hang on to some kind of advantage as you go into the playoffs. Yeah, I know what you're pointing out. And yeah, I when I was in the semifinals, I was in a tough matchup and I was losing and I decided I needed to use all of my remaining moves to squeak by. My goalies let me down, so I needed to just drop them for all the skaters that would help me win those skater categories. And then I got pretty handily uh, defeated. Actually, no, it was actually pretty close. But I got defeated by Ian, one of our active patrons, who deservedly took the title in the Binghamton division last year. But the way we had it set up last year, which, which, is, a, which is a nice segue, actually, is we with the couple, there was more than one division. There were many divisions. And the whole idea last year was we were all competing to get into different tiers. Because this season, all the people who came first and second last year are in the first tier. And everyone who was in who came third or fourth, they were in the second tier and so on and so forth. So I just really wanted to make it to the finals so I could get to the top tier. So I achieved what I wanted with that. But yeah, it was kind of lame probably that I had no acquisitions left for my finals matchup against Ian. And also no goalies left. You did make it to the top tier, not in the most dignified way, but you did make it. And it's worth pointing out that there is reason, more reason this year to want to win that championship matchup. Maybe, Elon, that's something we could say for the second part of this series where we can go into Uh, how the Cupful has a promotion and relegation system and how exactly, you know, some people are probably wondering how this whole thing works because we haven't adequately explained it yet. I hope that we have by now, but 
we can get into those those nuanced details on I mean, part two. Is there going to be a part two? I feel like we've almost covered um, everything. <laughs> I don't know. I thought there was enough for a part two. Okay. In case there's no part two, the first place finisher, whoever wins the playoffs, gets to move up two tiers the following season. Whoever finishes second place only moves up one tier the following season. And yeah. the cup full, of course, is just a number of different tiered ranked divisions. So you've got the top division and then the one below that and the one below that. And your goal is to climb all those divisions to end up at the top. And each division sort of operates as its own league. So the cupful is like a bunch of leagues operating within a, a tiered ranking, ranked division system, I think is the, the term that I prefer to use for it. And it's pretty, it's going to be pretty crazy. Like we have a lot of people in the cupful, but there's room for unlimited more people to join. And the ultimate goal is to get to the top tier and win the ultimate Keeping Carlson Championship. Last year, we had, of course, seven winners because we had seven divisions and each of them got a really cool custom Keeping Carlson t-shirt that we gave for free. There wasn't even an entrance fee for the pool, but we wanted to thank them but, uh, and to congratulate them on the very difficult win. But this year, there's going to be an extra awesome prize we're going to have to come up with. I'm sure we'll still have a prize for the people who win their divisions, but an extra amazing prize, maybe a trophy or something for the winner of the top tier. And Brian, but not only do players go up if they win their leagues or come in second and go up only one tier or win their league and go up two tiers. If you come in last place, you're going to go down two tiers. And if you come in second last place, you're going to go down one tier. So that's actually leads us into, I think maybe the last thing we wanted to talk about, which is playoff format. And that actually also gets into like a bigger question, which is how do you keep people interested in your pool throughout the season? Because you always have some people who maybe for, Whatever reason, they their team isn't doing that well. They start to realize, oh, man, I'm not going to win this thing. And they just stop paying attention. You have an inactive team in your pool. And that's so annoying because then everyone else in the pool that plays that team, you know, it's like it's a, it's a free matchup. And maybe other people who played that team earlier had a hard matchup. And then the other ones are getting easy ones. So it seems kind of imbalanced. Honestly, inactive teams is my least favorite thing that can happen in fantasy hockey, I think, aside from maybe losing by a penalty minute or something. But this year, the one way that we're trying to combat inactive teams is that we have 14 teams in a division, in a league, and every single team is going to make the playoffs. So no matter where you land, you're going to make the playoffs. The question, though, is are you going to make the good playoffs, the promotion playoffs, or are you going to make the loser playoffs, the relegation playoffs? Because how it's going to work is the top six teams in each division are going to make the good playoffs. The top two are going to get a bye. Then there's going to be a semifinal and then a, and a final. And, you know, and that's how we're going to determine the top two. But all the bottom eight teams are going to be competing in a bad tournament where you, you move on if you lose. And then finally, the two losers, the two people who lost both of the first rounds will play in the finals to determine who goes down by one tier and who goes down by two tiers. So it's going to be a lot at stake all throughout the season. And we're hoping this will keep people active all the way all the way through because they're going to have a chance to fight for the playoffs and get a chance to either win or not lose. Right. So in the relegation bracket, you're trying to win your way out of that. So you win your matchup and you can just enjoy the rest of the season, especially knowing you haven't been relegated. I think it's a really fun system. And also, Elon, what I like about it is it takes away any reason for anybody to make a completely ridiculous trade deadline deal. You always have the trade deadline. You've got the teams who are playoff bound and the teams who aren't. 
And it's essentially which of the playoff bound teams, if you're one of them, you've got to fleece, you've got to strip mine all those eliminated teams before your opponents do. And essentially there's no consequence for you trading, you know, your three worst players for their three best players. And we're hoping that having all 14 teams involved in a playoff system where there's they all have skin in the game still at that point uh, is going to make everyone think twice about making a really wacky or lopsided trade at the trade deadline this year. Yeah, obviously, Brian and I are going to be the commissioners and any trade that happens, people will be able to complain, you know, let us know if you think a trade is lopsided, and then we'll review it and decide if we want to veto it. We hope that we won't have to veto any trades. We obviously just want to keep the league competitive and fair. But but hopefully this, like you say, Brian, will just keep those lopsided trades from happening in the first place. And I should mention, since we're talking about the playoffs, something we talked about last year that we used, which I really liked, we're going to be going with two-week playoff matchups for the playoffs in the couple just to decrease the effect that schedule has because it would suck if just you happen to have a one-week matchup you came first you're playing against a team that came you know fourth and your team is much better but just you happen to have a couple of players on Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh's only playing twice that week and he has some players in San Jose who are playing four times that's a really crappy way to go so by making it a two-week matchup it's not perfect but a less of a chance that the schedule will screw you over so that's why we're going with two-week matchups and we're also not going to count the last week of the season because that week you know teams are always sitting their players so basically for the couple playoffs are going to start seven weeks before the season ends, and then there's going to be three playoff rounds, and then that final week where we all just talk about who won and who lost. Round one begins on February 20th. You've got to come out strong. If you fall flat at the start of the season in the cupful, it's a tough hill to climb to be able to get into a playoff spot, although at the very least you want to be in a privileged spot for those relegation playoffs so you can save your spot in the tier that you work so hard to earn your way into. Yeah, so I guess we're coming to the end of this podcast. Little things that we didn't mention that I did want to bring acquisitions. One thing that I was concerned about with giving people unlimited acquisitions is I thought that people could would be smart, especially now that we're having four IR spots that we're allowing any player to go into it, even if they're day-to-day. What I would have done as if I was done with my moves for the week, like I didn't need to use all four of my moves, or if I had some moves left over, I would just grab any day-to-day player available at the end of the week and stash them in my IR, because why not? Then I just have this player, and then at some point, if I want to activate them for a day before dropping them, I have that option to myself. I never That didn't really sit well with me. That was one of the reasons why I was against giving unlimited moves for the season, because people could just stash IR players. But lucky for us, I didn't even realize until after we decided that we were going to go with unlimited acquisitions for the season, Fantrax actually gives us an option. Fantrax premium only, actually. But you they had an option where we don't allow people to add injured players. So I was really excited about that. So now we have the ability to just say, and we're going to be using this option. So when you're making your fab bids for the auction every day at 11 a.m., injured players in free agency won't be available to you. If you want an injured player, you have to wait for them to be healthy and then add them. But of course, if you have an injured player, you can throw them in your IR. But for adding players, they cannot be injured, which I really like. And that, I think, takes some of the sting off of giving people the opportunity to have unlimited moves. They can't game it too much in that respect. Yeah. Well said, Elon. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, is there anything else, Brian? I guess we're hitting the end of the show. I'm looking through the list of options that we selected. Uh, if anyone in the chat wants to throw a question, I know it's not the most convenient chat environment. And again, I'm going to fix that for next week. But uh, okay, Brian, do you have any final things you want to talk about? Or should we wrap it up and uh, plan for next week? 
Well, one bit of player advice for anybody thinking that Antoine Vermette might have any value with whatever team he catches on. You can put those thoughts aside. His days of being a de facto top six center, probably over. He doesn't really play like a top six center anymore. He barely plays like a bottom six center. Uh, So if anybody's wondering that his fantasy value might change, having been bought out from his contract by the Arizona Coyotes, I would think it's lowered, if anything. If you were counting on him to be like a half point per game with some power play time, I doubt he will even be able to reach that in whatever his new situation is. But when we find out what that situation is, we'll give you a few more details when we can and take into account that new context in an upcoming episode of Keeping Carlson. Yeah, the summer series barrels on. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's been a lot of fun just talking about planning. Like Brian and I have been talking about planning the cacuffle settings and figuring out how we want to do it just for the past like month. That's like all we've been talking about. So it's really fun to have an outlet to share with you all of these things. Let us know what you think. Let us know which things you think we got wrong or which things you'd like to just get our opinions on. As you're setting up your leagues, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. If you want to join the cacuffle, like I said, you can. Any patron of Keeping Carlson that's at a $5 per month level or more is eligible to join the Cacuffle. The deadline is September 7th, I believe. So if you become a patron anytime before then, we'll send you all the links and all the information you need to join the Cacuffle and you could start your journey to climb up to the top tier and win that championship. And you also get other perks. You get to join our patron-only Facebook group where you could ask any fantasy questions you have and talk to all the smart patrons of Keeping Carlson. We also have our monthly patron casts. So you could check out all the information about becoming a patron at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, Brian, why don't we cue that outro music and you could go ahead and read us the credits, which I guess won't be that much because we didn't really do any research. No, I only have two sets of credits to give. But first, let me give the old spiel. Keeping Carlson Fantasy Augie podcast is presented by Dabra Hockey and supported by our patrons. Elon, we have painstakingly designed and discussed every element of the cup full, looking over the rules over at Yahoo, at ESPN, and especially fan tracks. So thanks to them for having cool rules that we could review. And thank you very much to our patrons who have been incredibly patient with us while we figure out our year one to year two transition strategies, uh, giving us tons of valuable feedback in figuring out the best direction to take to make this ultimate, the cup full, the most ultimate it can be, the ultimatest fantasy hockey pool. And I think that's it. All right. Well, I'm going to have to be looping our outro music a lot because that was quite the spiel, but worth it. Yes. Thank you so much to the patrons. That's it. We're going to be back in a couple of weeks. I don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but it'll be good. I promise. And until then, keep on. You say this. Well, you were doing a great job, but you stopped. Until then, keep on keeping Carl's song. Bye, everyone.